0: Well, we are beginning a series this morning from the book of Jonah, and true to the song that Jerry just led us in, these are some ancient words. Uh, these, the, the, the story of Jonah is about roughly 2,800 years ago is when these uh, events would have happened. It was after uh, the exile. And so scholars would say, "This book is post exilic, not a term we go around using on a daily basis right church but yeah it 's this is happening after the exile and so uh, one thing that uh that, that we do when we when we tackle a series is uh, and, I, and I often try to keep the series not from going too long because there are times in the past when I feel like people are ready to move on to something else. We did a series oh about a year year and a half ago from the book of Joel, also one of the minor prophets, and and I got the sense that. By the time we got to about the fourth week or so of Joel, people were like, okay, you know, there's one theme here, and I feel like we've beat it to death. And I I sense that. And so, but with Jonah, as short a book as this is, church, there are so many different themes. I have been absolutely fascinated in my recent study of this book. And so we're going to take this book's initially in small chunks. And we're going to absorb the different topics that are going on here. And because I think that there is some stuff going on here that is certainly applicable to our lives today. And so uh, I've never planned to take this many weeks on a book this short. But uh, but I think that you will enjoy what we're going to talk about and appreciate what we're going to discuss in the weeks ahead and find that there's way more going on in Jonah than what we might have learned when we were... Going to Sunday school as small children, or children's church, or vacation Bible school, that we're going to really dig into some of the themes that we can find in this ancient book. We're going to begin in chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And so the title of this morning's message is simply, Running from God. Jonah was a prophet. And while we will often think of prophets as people who prophesy or maybe tell of future events... That was a function of the prophets. But the primary job of a prophet was to preach. And so so that is exactly what God has asked Jonah to do. He's instructed Jonah, go up to Nineveh and call them into repentance. Repentance. He's saying preach against that city, refers to it as a great city. It was the capital of Assyria. And so Jonah, good soldier that he was, good servant of God's kingdom, does what, church? The exact opposite of what God told him to do. Because if we were to look on a map, we know that from where he was... Nineveh is northeast. He has to go inland. He has to go away from the Mediterranean. But what does he do? He goes to the port city of Joppa, pays the fare, and hops on a Caribbean cruise liner, right? No. But hops on a ship bound for this city of Tarshish. So... People aren't exactly sure where Tarshish was. Some scholars believe that it would be in present-day Spain. So if you know your geography, he is going to the far end of the Mediterranean from where he is. He—that That is quite a haul, especially in those ancient of days when travel wasn't nearly as easy as it is now. And so why... Does Jonah go the other way? Well, we can only speculate. And we're going to dig into that a little later in this series. But suffice it to say, Jonah doesn't want for the people in Nineveh to avoid God's judgment. He knows that if he goes and starts passionately preaching to those people and saying, repent, get right with the one true God, what might they do, church? They might repent. Yeah! They might actually say, Hey, preacher, thanks for the word. We've sinned. We need to get right. But Jonah doesn't want that for the people of Nineveh. He wants them to face God's wrath. Now here's why this is important to understand, what Jonah might have felt about those Ninevites. You see, the Assyrians were a powerful people. They were a ruthless and bloodthirsty people. The Assyrians were known to not only defeat their enemies, but they would keep them alive longer than necessary don't see a lot of small children in the audience today so I'll go ahead and bring this point out in Nineveh the Assyrians were known that when they would wage war against somebody they would cut off their legs they would cut off one of their arms and you might wonder Greg why one so they could shake their hand and mock them while they were dying now that's how ruthless the Assyrians were, and so you put yourself in Jonah's shoes, and it's kind of like I don't want to tell them to get right. I don't want. I'm not saying Jonah's right. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it right. But there is an element going on here. Of understanding that when people are that ruthless to their enemies, or maybe that ruthless to people who are innocent, that you really want them to get what's coming to them. You want righteous judgment to befall them, for them to get their comeuppance, we might say. And so Jonah does what he feels is right at the moment. And that is to run from God. Now, I want to look over for a moment at Psalm 139. A well-known psalm has some beautiful, beautiful words in it. This is where David says, You created me, you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb but what I want to look at is this part about God knowing where we are beginning with verse 7 in Psalm 139 where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence I'll go up to the heavens you are there if I go up to the heavens you are there if I make my bed in the depths you are there If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. David acknowledging God's omnipresence, the idea that God is everywhere. We've heard that, most of us, since we were young. That God is everywhere. And so you almost wonder, Jonah, did you think you could get away with it? Did you, know, did you think it was going to end well for you when you ran from God? Because God knows where you are. The psalmist David, in this instance, has told us clearly that whether we're in the heavens, whether we're in the depths of the sea, no matter how far we travel, God knows where we are. God sees us. Now, most of the time, that's very comforting, isn't it? Now, there are times in our lives where we wish God hadn't seen us, right? Where we've done those things that we know we should not do. Where we've, been, we've behaved in a way that we know we shouldn't. We treated someone in a way that we know we shouldn't. We said something. But let's face it, church. Even if we thought something. And so, it's in those moments where the comfort of God being all-knowing and all-seeing turns to, oh man, I wish he hadn't seen that. But what does that cause us to do? That awareness that God knows all. Well, if our heart is right, it brings us back into repentance. It brings us back into alignment with God, a right relationship. When we, with a loving, humble, and sincere heart, ask for God's forgiveness of our sins. But running from God is more than just getting on a ship or in a car or whatever it might be and going in the opposite direction. Running from God is more than just something His Holy Spirit lays on our heart that we ignore. There are different ways to run from God. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But it's important to understand in the book of Jonah, looking at kind of the overview of what we're going to be looking at. Uh, There are two main sections, and you can almost look at it like two scenes. And scene one is made up of the first two chapters, and it involves Jonah, the pagans, and the sea. And We'll get to that next week. Scene 2 is made up of chapters 3 and 4. It involves Jonah, the pagans, and the city. Now, many people over the years have dismissed Jonah. They don't think that it literally happened. Some people will say, okay, some of the Bible we can take literally, but there is some of Scripture that there's no way we should take it literally. And so they put Jonah in the category of a fable. They believe that Jonah is a fable. uh, And they believe that because of the idea that he is swallowed by the great fish. And so they think, well, there's just no way that happened. There's no way that somebody was in the belly of the whale for that long there is no way and they will come up with all kinds of things and I'll get to that in in a couple of weeks but that the idea that there's just no way a human being survives in the belly of a fish and then gets regurgitated up onto the land just there's no way and here's the response to that church you think God sending a Fish big enough to swallow a human being and keep him alive for a few days is a big deal? Well, let's think about Easter. Let's think about the Sunday that we celebrate every year. We gather For the sole purpose of celebrating the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Because the resurrection of Jesus is a far greater miracle than somebody getting swallowed and later spit up by a big old fish. And church... That's why we gather around this table each Sunday morning when we gather. is because the resurrection of Jesus is a big deal. Amen? The resurrection of Jesus is everything to our faith. And Paul acknowledges that in some of his writings. That boy, if it didn't happen, it's all for naught. But church, praise God, it happened. Now, there are uh, a couple of different ways to run from God. And I put in, in the bulletin, in that little outline section, I put in Romans 129 for the first way. But I encourage you to take some time this week and look that up. I wasn't quite thorough enough. One twenty-nine gets it started. Go ahead and read verse 30 as well. In the book of Romans, Paul takes really the first three chapters and addresses sin. And what he's doing for the, to the church at Rome, and to us today certainly, is he is setting the stage for making the argument about Jesus and why we need Jesus. He's telling the folks in Rome... And if there is any church in Christendom of Paul's day that uh, would have been you know, susceptible to uh, pagan idolatry and all kinds of different things, it would have been the folks in Rome in, that, in the first century. And so Paul is laying out this argument that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory, we all need a Savior. That's what Paul is laying out in those first three chapters of Romans. Now, so Romans 1, verses 29 and 30, Paul gives one of those sort of laundry lists of uh, behavior and sinfulness there. And so, uh, the first way we can run from God is to reject God completely. That we just absolutely... Uh, embrace sinfulness and just reject God completely the other way that we can run from God in Romans chapter 2 and I had Kay put in the bulletin verses 17 and 18 and uh, really that's verses 17 through 23 that whole paragraph as it appears in my my translation but uh, because what Paul says there is he, he basically says, hey, those of you that considered yourselves just good God-fearing Jews, he says, you know, you did all these things right. And speaking to us today, putting it in terms we understand today, uh, you know, you came to church. Oh boy, you made sure you were there when the doors were open. You were there on Sunday morning. You were there on Sunday night. You were there for the Wednesday night Bible study. And oh my goodness. And you dropped something in the plate whenever it was passed. Every single Sunday. And oh, you were really good at thinking highly of yourself. Yeah, so I'm paraphrasing that section of Romans 2 now. You, you were so good at building yourself up. You were so good at this thing we call self-righteousness. Oh, man. You were the poster child for thinking you were all that. And that you were you got religion and you were just all religious. Yeah. But then what's the problem with that church? those Christians who never grow, those Christians who might say, I've been a Christian for 30 years. The problem is they haven't done 30 years worth of growing in a relationship with the Lord. That what they've done is they've relived the first year of their Christian walk 29 more times. That they thought that being a child of god was about simply being present and simply giving a little something back when we know church family it's so much more than that that it's about love that it's about how we treat people that it's about accepting that we are sinners in need of God's mercy and grace, and that we in turn embrace other sinners, even those who have directly wronged us in some way. And so we in turn embrace them with that same mercy and grace. That if we're not doing that, then we are really, really falling short and failing at what it means to be a child of God. And so, that second way that we can run from God is by becoming very religious and moral. And then I put in parentheses in my notes, self-righteous. So, two ways to run from God. To reject God completely and embrace a life of sin. The other way is by being very religious and moral. Now, no place in the Gospels is this shown to us any better than in Luke chapter 15. Now, we often call that the parable of the prodigal son. It's often referred to as the parable of the lost son. The problem with those two identifiers is they put all the emphasis on what church? Just one son. And if you know the story, if you know the parable as Jesus taught it, there were how many sons? There were two. So I'll, I'm going forward, I'm going to try to refer to this as the parable of the two sons. And in that parable, you know the story that there is one son who comes to dad and says, I'd like my inheritance now, thank you very much. And insults his father by saying, I really don't need a relationship with you, I just need your cash. And so dad ignores what he could have done to that son because he has tremendous love in his heart for the son. And as we talked about some weeks ago, I imagine the dad looks at the son and says, you know, there's hope for you yet. And so he does what? He gives him his share of the inheritance and the son goes off to a faraway land and he does what church? He squanders that money with wild living. And then he gets to that point where he hits rock bottom. He's feeding swine, which is something that would have gotten the attention to a Jewish audience in Jesus' day. Because they wouldn't have come near something so unclean. And he's feeding swine and decides that what he's feeding the pigs looks good to him. And that's when he comes to his senses and says, I'm going to go back and just be a servant in dad's household. I don't expect him to welcome me back as his child, as an heir. I've already blown that. But at least his servants have clothes on their back, a roof over their head, and three square meals a day. And that's a whole lot better than what I got right now. So he goes back, and dad not only waits for him to get there dad not only you know dad doesn't just say ok when I, you give me the sincere apology then we can begin reconciliation no what does dad do church dad comes off the front porch when he sees him off in the distance dad runs to him and dad throws his arms around him and kisses him brings him back to the house and says, put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf. And so what did this son do? He ran in the first sense. He rejected his father's morals, his father's standards of living. He rejected all that completely. And so uh, then enters son number two because he's been out working and he's approaching the household and he hears all the partying going on, the celebrating going on. And so then he goes to dad or goes to a servant and says, you know, what's, what's going on? And they said, oh, your brother came back and we're celebrating. And so then the father realizes that Son number one, the older brother is, is back, but he's not coming inside. So the dad goes out and says, Son, what's the matter? Your son, your brother has returned. We're celebrating. And then what does the older brother do? He shows that he has been harboring resentment for quite some time. Yes, he stayed near. And he did everything he was supposed to do. He was at church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And he put something in the offering plate. But where's the problem, church? He didn't do it out of love. He did it so that his father would be in his debt. You know how debt works, right? After all, it's a campaign year. Last night, as Stacy and I sat down to eat supper together, on the television was the movie The Dark Knight. And there's this scene where I can't even remember the character's name, but a handsome actor is playing a, like a district attorney, a prosecuting attorney. And, uh, and he's sitting there at dinner and he's having dinner with Bruce Wayne, which if you know the, the Batman story, that, that's Batman just without the, the costume. And so there's Bruce Wayne, billionaire that he is, and he tells this, uh, tells this guy who's contemplating a run for a bigger office, hey, you're not getting what I'm saying. You know, let me introduce you to some of my friends. And he said, you'll never have to raise money again in your entire career. What's the problem with that, church? People that write big checks that put you where you want to be, they expect what? Something in return. You better believe it. That's why I keep waiting for that candidate who says, I'm not going to take anything bigger than like 100 bucks. Period. Yeah, I know. Don't hold your breath, Greg. And so... That's exactly what the sun is doing. That's exactly what self-righteous people are doing. Self-righteous brothers and sisters in Christ. They are saying, hey, I'm going three times a week. I'm dropping a little something-something in that plate when they pass it by. Or in the basket out in the lobby as it is in pandemic times, right? And so it's like I expect... My inheritance. I expect God to make good. Because after all, I've done what I'm supposed to do and He owes me. They'll never come out and say that. But that's where their heart is. And so that is another way of running from God. Another way to put that is we can be We can be lost. We can be lost at a distance or we can be lost right here in the house of God. We can be baptized believers and still have a heart that sure acts lost because we don't get that what God wants from us is love and mercy and grace toward other people, just as He extends His love, His mercy, and grace to us. Nothing more on our best day than sinful people. Right, church? And so, we look at the story of Jonah, and we figure out that Jonah takes turns in this story, of acting as the younger brother and the older brother. There are times when he manages, he is so gifted and talented, he managed to play play both these roles. And so church family, the, the message for us today is don't run from God. Don't run from God in a distant way. And reject him completely and embrace sin. And don't run from God by being self-righteous. What did Jesus say? And he quoted one of the prophets. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that one comment right there tells us so much about what it truly means to be in a right standing with a loving and merciful and gracious Father. The church family, if you're here this morning and you have been living a life where you've been rejecting the Father, then we're going to offer the invitation in just a moment and it allows you to respond and say boy I have not been living the life I should live and I either need to come to God or come back to God but maybe you're here this morning and you realize I've been going through the motions I've been practicing sacrifice and not practicing mercy and so maybe you need to respond this morning as well We are here to receive you. We are here to pray with you about whatever that concern is. Let's stand together and sing the song.